Hello, it's Trish and Heather here and we're home design coaches and founders of the Scribble Club. The Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy and functional homes and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers. We're so excited to announce our brand new podcast called The Sketchy Ladies. Our podcast is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome your design challenges with creative solutions. You'll learn how to create spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover. As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and well-being can benefit from a well-designed home. There's no need to settle for second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an episode. You can find links to all of the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast. The Sketchy Ladies podcast is here to help you create your dream home. Let's make it happen. Welcome to episode eight of the Sketchy Ladies podcast with Trish and Heather, where today we're going to discuss the downside up part of our home. This episode follows on from our four foundations of good design, which are planning, inside, outside and upside down. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the design of the downside up spaces of our home, four of the most common planning challenges, how we solve those challenges with good design and the cost of errors and how to avoid them. Trish, this really came about because we had our four foundations of good design, which we know are planning, which is imperative, the inside, the outside and the upside down. But then one of our esteemed colleagues said, you really need to add one called downside up. And he was absolutely correct, because what we're talking about with downside up is all those sorts of things that are below the ground or below the level of where you are. So if you're in a multi-storey building, it might be something that comes in from a floor beneath. And they're all the sort of connections that you need to consider as well. And we were particularly talking about a kitchen with an island bench. And there's a prime example of where we need lots of things to connect to make it all work. So have you got some thoughts about downside up? Yeah, I sure do. There's a fair bit of money we can sink in the ground ultimately because we don't get to see it. It's money that is well invested if we think about these and plan these things early on. Some of those points that we're talking about our plumbing, that's water connections, our floor waste and connection to existing services. We're also talking about our stormwater, our downpipes and water that comes off our roof or off our driveways or our roads, our footpaths, all that site water runoff as well. Where that gets collected and where is it going to go? We're also talking about electrical. We've got to get our power into our site from the road, whether that might be from a power pole or underground. That's something that we need to consider. How does it get connected to the house and where does it come in? We're also talking about the services, our other services. So there might be service conduits. We're talking about floor heating, data connections, internet, all those sort of additional connections that we need to consider. Love to get into plumbing first because I think the plumbers are one of the first guys that are on site, aren't they? Yeah, and plumbers are hard to get sometimes too because they are so much in need. The main reason being is that a lot of what we have these days flushes away or goes somewhere and people don't really think about when we flush a toilet or when we let go of the plug from the sink or a bath, where that all goes. But it all goes down through your plumbing connections into either your sewage. We have grey water and black water. The black water is your dirty water that comes from toilets and that has to be dealt with in a certain way that goes off and gets 
cleaned up through all our sanitising and our sewage treatment stations. Then we've got grey water, which isn't as dirty, but sometimes if you've got a environmentally friendly system, your grey water can be used for recycling the water in your plants. Some very advanced systems even will clean the water enough to be able to use it for your washing through your laundry. And then we've got our clean water as well. All of those things come together. We've also got, as part of that plumbing, which is integrated, so a lot of people don't think about it, but when it rains, that water goes somewhere too. Plumbing and stormwater are very much interrelated, but they're also very separate. Our stormwater is what hits our roof, goes down, and usually in this day and age, particularly with all the hard surfaces, a lot of that has to be detained on site before we it leaves our site. I know you've got a lot of experience with that sort of thing, Trish. Maybe you can give us a bit of an insight as to what happens with all our water out of kitchens, for example. We've obviously got to get water into the kitchen so we can wash up. We can use water for our cooking and, and drinking. We're also going to get that water out. We've got to consider with our downside up process is the supply of the water and where does the waste go. Kitchens are a perfect example. We're going to have a sink or two. We're going to have a fridge that we want water supplied to. And then we also might even have other things like Electrical is another thing for kitchens that we'll need. When we're talking about the downside up, we're talking about what's under the ground, what's below floor level. Depending on the construction of your home, we could be talking about most of the time we're looking at a concrete slab on the ground. So whether it could be just a garage or we're talking about footings, we've got to get it navigate. So that's a structural thing that needs to be planned well early on. We want to allow for the planning of where those waste pipes are going to come out through the slab. It's getting the water connection into the house from the road. It's also getting our connection of sewerage or wastewater from the house to the road but once we get to the house we've got to navigate it through the concrete slab and there's a multiple standards and requirements that plumbers have got to apply to and they are experts in their field for a reason you've got to be a pretty special person to be a plumber they also need to know exactly where those waste pipes are going to go. Showers are a perfect example. What sort of waste top waste shower pit you might be using? Is it a greater pit or a central pit or is it off to the side or is the shower base that you buy, is that in a fixed location? They need to know exactly where they're going. You can't change it once the concrete's dried and poured. It, you're stuck with it. That's it. Yeah, having those plans done out very well. Things like sinks, your baths, toilets and showers are all super important. And the floor waste. I'm personally like to put a floor waste in a laundry if you get a washing machine that fails it's going to go somewhere and not wreck your house <laughs> and it's also connecting to any other existing services as well a lot of the time these waste for sinks can be in a wall cavity so that's another thing where the wall is being placed and the wall's not there yet we need to know that on plan with the builder and the plumber very early on I just wanted to touch on a couple of things with plumbing in a bathroom, particularly. The two things I wanted to just bring up was one, we've got a lot of insurance claims issues that I've actually had an insurance claim myself on a house. And I said to the insurer, is this a big thing? He said, look, you're the sixth call today, which is the flexible pipework below the sink failing. When that fails, that sprays water everywhere. In a lot of old houses, there are no floor waste. So the floor waste is the hole that you'll find in your bathroom somewhere that's grated. And that's usually connected through to a pipe that's probably connected to your shower and possibly your bath and possibly the basin. It's the safety net for something, a bath running over or for a pipe failing. If you live in an old house, you really need to be careful about the plumbing that goes below the sink because the failure of that, which can just happen with age, the flexible pipe works a lot less hardy than the old copper pipes that we used to use and they do split and fray and so they have a lot 
smaller lifespan. If you don't have a floor waste in your bathroom in an older style house, it's really something that you need to consider and be mindful of. Or if you're going to play the bathroom, because what happens is it floods the whole house. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. The tenants were away for a weekend, came back to an entirely flooded house. Floor waste are really, really important. And it's something that I make sure that everybody realises you put more floor waste in rather than less as a safety factor. If you've got a combination of a bathroom and laundry, it's always wise to put more floor waste in than less for the simple fact that we can all leave a plug in a tub that overflows or just something silly where you yeah. a bit of inattention and next thing water everywhere is probably the worst thing in terms of mass destruction in the house. Yeah. <laughs> it takes out your floor finishes, your carpets, it blows, timber floorboards, all those sorts of things. It is something that you really need to be mindful of. And the second one was just in apartment buildings, which is quite different. If you have a floor waste or a failure, particularly when you're renovating, I've seen a lot of poor renovations where people have simply tiled over tiles or done incorrect processes the waterproofing wasn't done properly originally and there's failure at the base level of a shower that will fail through into somebody else's apartment and the bad thing about that is you generally don't have the issue with your apartment because the water's gone somewhere but it's gone down into somebody else's apartment and flooded their apartment in terms of insurance it can be a really tricky thing when we're talking about downside up we're saying really be careful and have a look in your own place as to where those wastes are just in case something goes wrong one of the kids leaves a tap running in a basin slowly and you go away to school and come back at the end of the day and all of a sudden there's water everywhere floor wastes are really really important in our designs but when we look at the floor slab and there's nothing there we end up looking like swiss cheese there's holes everywhere isn't it yes <laughs> Which also comes into the stormwater. We've got to allow for that water to drain away from our homes to protect our homes as well. That water inside our homes can be helped contain through our water floor waste and our waterproofing. But externally, if we just have our roofs run off to the ground and then it's not connected and taken away from our site, that can undermine our substructure concrete footings or anything that's within the grounds, washing away the water and actually undermining our homes. We want to protect our homes. Water is one of the biggest, most damaging in our environment it can literally get into any hole of any size <laughs> there's no stopping it it's got a superpower i reckon it's absolutely essential in our lives but it also can be hugely destructive what's your experience heather how many pits do you put a house do you have a little rule like how many pits you might put around a building it really depends one on the slope of the site whether the water is naturally going to be running down anyway no point trying to detain or contain too much water if it's in the middle of a hill because obviously the lowest point is where it will tend to fall naturally to anyway and it's one of those things is no definitive rule because depending on where it's located in Australia as well obviously if you're in Queensland the downfall is far heavier and they have a lot more rules about collection of stormwater because it comes down with such intensity that it wouldn't be the same as if we were designing it in an arid part of Australia. There's a lot of design considerations around stormwater, but I think the biggest thing is nowadays people don't understand that we can't just let stormwater run across our site. Those days are gone. It needs to be held on the site. And because we've got so many hard surfaces, driveways and concrete and outdoor entertaining areas, all those sorts of things, they actually make the stormwater run to certain points. And if it's poorly designed, you'll end up with big puddles of water everywhere where the water's just not getting away. So it's really important that there's a right number of downpipes and there's calculations that we do based on the rainfall for the area, 
where those downpipes connect to the stormwater and then how many pits or connections you need. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't want to put too many pits or connections in because then they're just things that need to get serviced and checked and cleaned. Yeah. The other one with stormwater, the old classic tennis ball down the downpipe that blocks it. You need to be able to get access through the downpipes and to where they connect as well to clear that out or simple things of leaf matter blocking stormwater. Gum trees are magnificent. A lot of the leaves falling down into your stormwater can block it up. In bushfire prone areas, you need all of your gutters and everything cleared regularly and pipes checks. There's lots of access openings which screw off parts on stormwater and plumbing where we can get plumbers to look inside. It's also important that we have those inspection openings as well, that it's not all just sealed off because if something does get stuck, we've got to get to it. That's a really good point you make about servicing, having the ability to reach and also to call in some experts if you need to, because that's also a part of our waste too. So if you get any blockages and waste that can back up, it can be quite destructive. There's quite a few things to consider. And that's why we want to use those experts like the plumbers and the builders, what they know of the site. You also mentioned about site water drainage and hard surfaces. In Tasmania, we have a few councils that have limitations of how many hard surfaces you can build as percentage base to your site. You might actually have a maximum of 50% non-permeable surfaces so that's your hard surfaces like concrete where the water can't permeate or go through and then you've also got to have a green space that could be paving is the water can travel through and drain away so it's not all rushing off or running off the surface but there's also the retaining walls that's something that we've had to do on our site we have a clay site and water doesn't run through the soil of clay very well we've actually had to put in Behind any retaining wall, you need to do this, but it's something that we've actually had to be really cautious of and actually put in additional ones within our site that aren't retaining wall areas because we have additional water runoff that's been damaging. In behind our retaining walls, we've got rocks, we've got large boulder retaining walls, and we've got what's called an ag drain, an agricultural drain. It's a drain that sits under the soil. It has different layers. We've got a fabric wrap. We've got some blue metal and some backfill that will filter. We're not getting dirt into that ag drain. It allows the water that comes in and hits that wall to drain away safely and that's when you see a lot of huge failings in not providing very good drainage behind retaining walls where retaining walls are just collapsed and we could be talking massive walls made of brick or concrete or all sorts of materials that are hugely damaging not only to your site but also to human life. There's been many issues that I've heard of in the news. Luckily I haven't been involved with any of those sort of projects and there's a lot of landscape issues available in regards to our site drainage too. That's something that we've got to consider is not only our home but what's going on on the site. My biggest advice out of this whole episode from downside up is if you've got a sloping site, try not to cut into the land as much as possible because mm. the natural drainage is such that it will still continue to drain. And as soon as you cut in, as you're saying, and I know your place only has small retaining walls, but it's very, very common for people to drop a second story in a garage or a basement and it's very, very difficult to keep that water out. We think of block work and brickwork as being solid, but it's actually quite porous. So it actually takes mm. water in. And the worst thing is for a basement car park or anything like that is mould. As soon as you get water, you get mould issues, you get ventilation, you get mustiness. Downside up, if you're thinking about it, just make sure you really try and minimise the amount of cut, particularly adjacent to any sort of what we call habitable area, which is where you can live or occupy. Retaining wall, not so bad. And leading mm. on from that too, we're talking about electrical. We love our outdoor entertaining areas. We might have a kitchen that's got an outdoor entertaining area adjacent. We always need external 
electrical as well as internal electrical. We call them conduits, pipes that go below our slabs or below our outdoor areas that have all our cablings in. But you really need to think about what you need inside and outside when you're doing this because all the services are connected and it's very, very difficult to come back later and just tack on power points, particularly external ones because they mm. mostly they have to be rated so that they're waterproof. So if it rains, we don't electrocute ourselves. Often there's lots of other connections that go through our slabs of, again, more holes, <laughs> more holes we have to get in the right location. When people walk in and say, oh, I just don't like the sink there or in the bathroom, I don't like the toilet, can we just pop it on the other wall? The implications are huge because you've got to cut out slab, you've got to move connections. People don't really realise once we've got that slab, it might still look like there's no building on it, but if we haven't planned it rightly or we want to change it, then that's going to really, really impact our budget. Budget. You can always move, but be prepared to pay for it. But one of our core things is to prepare and plan well at the beginning so that we are not having to pay those extra costs or exorbitant fees to change something later on. It's all about the planning. You mentioned about the electrical. So we've got an island bench in our kitchen and we want to power to that. So I could plug in the mixer or I've had microwaves in my island benches before. And I think that was one of the early days in my kitchen design career. That was one of the biggest issues that we found is that we always had to use all our equipment on the back bench that had a wall with a PowerPoint. It's a lot harder to fit a PowerPoint to an existing home or an older home in an island bench like that, unless you've got the space in under the floor you can access under a timber floor structure or the potential chance to bring it down a wall or through a ceiling. In our plan, when we do a design of a house plan, we always do an electrical plan and a plumbing plan. They're all things to help with the setting out process right at beginning, right when they come in site to dig the footings for the site. They also dig a trench for your plumbing or they also allow for the electrical to come in. Where is that main switchboard going to be located? Where are we bringing the power into the home? That's a huge integral thing for me. It's ensuring that we know where any of those weird locations for PowerPoints are. Like you said, the externally as well as internally. Another one I'm finding is the floor heating. We've got a hydronic heating system in our slabs. That is downside up. That's a mixture of plumbing and electrical we've got to consider. Hydronic heating is a water pipe running through the slab. We have a holding tank or a heat pump system that heats the water and then that gets pumped through and fed through the house and it heats our concrete floors and it's just such a beautiful heat. I've always got toasty feet and there's no windy air blowing around. We also got to allow power to connect those outdoor units where the outdoor unit is going to sit. Talking about the outdoor units, we're talking about the big fan those units sit outside, but they also need a drainage point. They actually have water and condensation come off those units and they've got to drain somewhere. That's another thing that we've got to consider. It's a part of our indoor item. So it's a part of our heating that's for inside, but it's connected to the outside that we then got to consider plumbing. It's an electrical thing that has a plumbing unit. The integration of all those things come together, don't they? Yes. And here's my second big takeaway. I'm very big on takeaways for people. My <laughs> second big takeaway is work out where all your services are running and put them together. And if you're in an existing house, where you can, if you've got an existing house that you're renovating, we've heard the horror story about a friend of ours who had a pipe that had to be concrete encased in the backyard before they can do the extension. And that was $32,000 from memory so wow. it's very very expensive because obviously a mains line very important to council for the whole infrastructure for the area but it's really important that you try and group those services together and I'd highly recommend not running too many 
straight under your slab or straight under your driveway because if something goes wrong, you've actually got to dig up slag or dig up driveway. When we coordinate our services, what we're doing is we're trying to run them in services channels or certain areas where we know that if we've got a plumbing blockage or if we've got an electrical fault or something's happened, we know the area we've got to dig up and hopefully we've got a bit of garden or something there. We haven't built anything too much over the top of it because over time things can go wrong as simple as vermin can get in and chew or ants. I know in certain parts of the country, they've got a lot of problems with electrical, particularly in northern parts of WA, Singapore ants eating electrical cables, and they will eat through the cable up into the house and decimate the whole house. There's lots of different things we consider when we're looking at our services from our downside up, but we've got to be able to get to them later. That's why it's critical to plan them up front so that we know where they are, they're located. And if you do on-sell the house and somebody else comes, they know where those services are too. They're often quite difficult to locate if you're buying an older home where the plans weren't available. That's a really hit and miss thing and a lot of dollars can go very quickly on those sorts of things. And just to touch on the service channels, which I think was a really good point, because there's also upgrading what called a conduit. So that's a plastic tube that an electrical cable might run through. Those conduits are quite small and you enter feed in a new cable. NBN was a perfect example. We've added new cables or we've added our fiber optic wires. There's always evolution that changes those things or provides new information or new technologies. To allow the opportunity to upgrade or add it further to that is something to consider too. That's a good discussion to have with your electrician and your builder. And that brings me to data connections. More and more now, we don't just install power connections, we're installing data. Depending on the type of system you're using, data, even things like a dishwasher now, I know in Fisher and Paykel, they actually have computer chips in them, so they can plug into them to do diagnostics on them. As we move forward, data is going to be critical. Everything that's got smart in front of it needs data, usually <laughs> some sort of data. So if it's smart, smart TV, trish. smart <laughs> trish needs data. Smart <laughs> header needs data all the time too. Data connections are also a really important point. And that's a fairly new thing compared to mm. traditionally where we only considered power outlets. Now we're also co-joining those with data outlets and charging stations and all the things that come with our modern technology. If we need a charging station, for all of our kids bits and pieces we need to have the electrical cabling come through the floor somewhere or through the wall to be able to have a large area where we can do all that charging that's our services generally speaking and I suppose what we're saying as a bit of a summary for the whole thing is that these downside up costs can really blow out. I always say the highest risk is from getting out of the ground to your floor level so to the top of your slab or to the top of where you're going to put everything. And it's really important that they're planned out because if you blow out your costs there, you're starting behind the eight ball. Aren't you? It's very difficult to finish a project when you've had a 30% blowout or 40% blowout, just getting up to that level. You're going to have to change, cut costs in your decoration, your decor, that sort of thing, which we don't want to do. And the worst thing is we can't see all of that stuff that's underground. We've no. spent all this money, but it's gone literally into a great big hole. Yeah, a perfect example in our home, exactly like that. What we haven't touched on is structure. So we're talking about the foundations about what keeps our home in place. We had an additional $30,000 fee because we had to alter and adjust our engineering because once we dug into the ground, we found other things. I think there's a whole other episode there for us in regards to structure. What we want to also identify here is what are the ways that we can avoid those costly errors in our design? And our biggest one, we bang on about it all the time, is plan, plan, plan. We want to plan it. And it's not talking to council about planning the DA or your approvals process. It is planning your build, it's planning your services, it's planning those things that are in the ground and knowing what to look for. 
and also engage the professional people that you need to. So if you need an electrical engineer, you need a hydraulic engineer. Hydraulic engineers generally do all your plumbing and sometimes do your stormwater as well. If you need to get those people involved because it's beyond your level of understanding, then do it because it's money well spent that you will save further down the track through planning. It's very important that professional designers are used when you're at your limit of your knowledge. That's where we see people make mistakes, where they think they know what they're doing and they don't. That's why we've established the Scribble Club as a method of helping people navigate all this language and navigate through this complex building process and make sure they get it right. Save them a lot of time and money because we've got 25 years of experience of having done all this before. We've seen the mistakes. We know what happens and we can just really fast track that whole process for people. Yeah, holding their hands through the process and be their design coaches. Thanks for tuning into the episode of Sketchy Ladies podcast. Join us for our next episode where we'll focus on kitchen design. This episode was brought to you by the Scribble Club, our signature group coaching program to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes. Check it out at thescribbleclub.com along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve. If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at The Scribble Club. We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love for you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners to find our show. Have a wonderful day. We're the Sketchy Ladies and we're behind you all the way.